Sailor. It's another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey, and tonight we are here to So you know what I use to kickstart my heart? A little bit of whiskey. <laughs> nice. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, uh, I like that. So, for the <laughs> listeners that might be new to this show, we sometimes compare two albums from one artist against each other. We discuss, usually argue, and very professionally debate the merits, and in the end, usually only one album or artist reigns supreme. <laughs> usually. Usually. Yeah. Well, that's the way it's supposed to work anyway. (laughs) Uh, And tonight, dear listeners, we will begin a two-part series on the bad boys of rock, Motley Crue. Right, Ed. We will be jumping into the way, way back machine again. We're going to go back to the beginning of Motley Crue's raunchy story. And then next week, we're going to be doing a three-way? You mean a three-way album battle. Right? Uh, sure. Yeah, I that's what so. I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Mm, actually, both of you are wrong. Because next what? week, next week, for the first time ever in the history of the show, we will battle four of Motley Crue's albums. But Get you're going the to have. fuck out of here. Yeah, four. <laughs> Which and ones? You're going, you're going to have to wait. Damn it. Unfortunately, we have keeping it a secret on lockdown. Waiting is so hard. Isn't it, though? But first, let's talk about the ongoing... Metal Rock and Madness, March Madness bracket, and oh you guys had you. <laughs> Seriously, Matt, this des- is the worst idea you've ever had. Despite sa- <laughs> oh, on the contrary, but despite the sailors' worst brilliant idea, daily, yeah. daily palpitations <laughs> over this. Um, <laughs> you got you guys have been turning out in droves, and you guys have been delivering on the voting. Killing ends. me. You, you guys have been sounding Killing off me. your opinions, whether we uh, agree with them or not. Some of them have been. Kind of abrasive, but that's okay. That's we 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 <laughs> they're, we they're we, mad at us. Some people we invite are that. Mad. There are some people that I've had to talk and a I few think, of you off of. Off the I ledge. know. I think we mm-hmm. need. I think it's our responsibility to say again. Listen, the, we are not creating these matchups. People are like what? That's a bunch of bullshit. So this is rigged. There's nothing fucking rigged. Matt pulled you know names out of a hat and put them in a bracket. That's how it fucking works. Of bands we that we covered, yes. Of bands that we've covered on this show. So we we have not we didn't choose who is going to be up against whom. It didn't work like that. So if you think it's bizarre, well, that's the point. It's a fucking game. So everybody needs to relax a little bit. Just take a chill pill, breathe, do some yoga. I've been doing the same cuz man, I'm getting so many messages from people freaking out. Oh, that's that's bullshit. They can't be. And then giving me all these reasons why one band is better than the other. And I'm like, I literally have no control over this. There's well, nothing to, I can do about it. To the listeners' yeah, credits, yeah, they have righted the ship a little bit since the beginning. They're of starting this. To. It's like complaining about the presidential election. 
Right, exactly. Exactly. That's just what happened. Except you can overthrow the government, you can overthrow the show. So as a matter of fact, speaking of overthrowing the show, I have a challenge. If you are a listener and you have been voting in our March Madness, what the fuck are we calling it? Metal Madness Challenge? Metal metal Rock and Madness. Okay, Metal, Metal sorry. (laughs) Metal Rock and Madness Challenge. You must have been voting in it. We would like to invite you on the show. So we are going to um, ask you to send us a private message, whether on Facebook or Instagram, and tell us uh, who you've been voting for and why you would like to defend your position. And we're going to choose two opposing sides to try and overthrow us and defend their positions against each other. So, and we will do that when the challenge is complete. So make sure, guys, you write to us. We would love to hear from you and have you on the show. And guess what? Just like this bracket, we will choose at random. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you send me whiskey presents. Suckers. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough about that. Mm-hmm. What are we all drinking? We all drinking? I know what I'm drinking. I know what I'm drinking. I'm drinking something <laughs> uh, something fairly new. I just picked up on a good recommendation from our our friend uh, Fred Minnick. It is a the new Old Forester hundred proof rye, and I'll tell you what. It's uh, a lot of times you, you hear a lot of good things about a whiskey, and it just doesn't live up to the billing. But this is an exception. This really does live up to the billing, and I'm a big fan. And I think we might have someone else here as well who is a new fan of this. Well, that would be me, Edward, and I am drinking the same thing. Uh, and I will copy everything that you just said there. I did get this. You know, it's been making the rounds on social media, so there have been several of our um, whiskey cohorts that have been indulging in this new um, Old Forester 100 Proof Rye. Um, it came to me personally as a recommendation from at Wrestling with Whiskey, um, WWE superstar Aiden English, who has his own whiskey page, um, and he had did a blind, I believe, with Old Forester Rye, Pikesville Rye, and one other. Uh, that I can't remember at the moment. Uh, but he said Old Forester Rye won hands down, which is a real ringing endorsement because I love Pikesville Rye. Uh, for me, that is one of the standard too, bearers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And $20 cheaper, you know, at least 20 to $25 mm-hmm. cheaper for the Old Forester. So um, he said, you got to go out and find it. I couldn't find it in Florida. I am here in cold gray, New Jersey. And luckily I found a bottle and I had to grab it off the shelf and, uh, well worth it. If you can find it somewhere, grab it. Grab two. I am very sad because I am not able to find it here yet. Um, and I'm in a state that has an incredibly high liquor tax and just not a great selection. So um, I'm going to have to wait a little bit longer to get my hands on that pretty pup. But I think you guys know that I am a huge fan of Old Forester. I love almost every single thing that they do. And I'm mm-hmm. also a big, big rye girl. So I can't wait. I cannot wait to taste this. But tonight, I mean, obviously, I got a little shoulder. Ah. Some monkey shoulder. Obviously. <laughs> 
So he he's moved from your back to your shoulder. Yes, indeed. <laughs> That's right. So really super happy with this. Um, really super happy with everybody that responded um, to uh, the whiskey pairing. Lots of people wrote to me and asked me about Monkey Shoulder and um, that are new to Scotch. And like I said previously, it's a really perfect gateway to scotch it's a great kind of training wheel it's a great way to learn about the flavors that you should get in scotch you know um i say that often about uh wild turkey rare breed if you want to know what you should be tasting in a bourbon go to rare breed first start there it's the same thing with monkey shoulder so that's me awesome Let's talk about the subject of the night. Let's go back, way back, and talk about Motley Crue. So the band was formed uh, January 17th of 1981 when bassist Nikki Six left the band that he was in called London and began rehearsing with drummer Tommy Lee and a vocalist guitarist named Greg Leon. Tommy Lee had previously worked with Leon in a band called Sweet 19. They had practiced together for a while. Leon eventually decided to leave, so Nikki Six and Tommy Lee began searching for new members and soon met another guitarist called Bob Deal, better known as Mick Mars. They found each other due to an ad. Um, he answered. They answered an advertisement that Mick Mars had placed in the Recycler in Los Angeles, and it said... Loud, rude, and aggressive guitar player available. So I would love to know. I'm going to put together a list because this has come up several times. I, th- I want to say it came up with Van Halen as well. How many famous bands have gotten together because of the recycler, recycler ads in the 80s? Well, I mean, you, think, is, of the t- you, yeah, you think of the time and place. Yeah. I would yeah, imagine that sure. quite a few. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This predates Craigslist by just a few years. <laughs> exactly. Or Facebook. <laughs> just a Absolutely. few. Just a few. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. So Mick Mars, who personally I feel has been dead for like twenty years, and they're just propping him <laughs> yeah, up. Um, so looks like he is. Yes. <clears throat> Poor guy. Uh, so Mick Mars uh, auditioned for Nikki Six and Tommy Lee, and was subsequently hired. So now they are searching for a lead vocalist, of course. Now, Tommy Lee had known one Mr. Vince Neal from high school, and the two had performed in different garage bands a while back. So one night, Mick actually sees Vince perform with the band Rock Candy at the Starwood in Hollywood. Mick was into it and suggested that Vince should join the band. At, ver- at, first, fi- uh, sorry, at first, Vince refused the offer, surprising, but as the other members of Rock Candy became involved in other projects, Vince grew anxious for another project. So Tommy Lee asked again, and boom, Neil was hired on April Fool's Day of 1981. <laughs> uh-huh. Or was I he? I love that it was April Fool's Day. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, so now they're a band, but they still don't have a name. Um, Nikki Six wanted the band to be named Christmas, <laughs> so the, but stupid. understandably, the other members were not very receptive to that idea. <laughs> Can you imagine if they were called Christmas? Like, I wonder what honestly, the idea was behind that. 
Well, who gives a uh, shit? Do you think they would have been this famous? No, of course not. Uh, you know, a large part of, I think, celebrity is, you know, your visuals, how you portray yourself, your name, your marketing. Like, imagine, Christmas, yeah, the bad boys <laughs> rock. Christmas. Christmas rocks. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> nah, it just doesn't have a good ring to it. <laughs> no. But anyway, while trying to find a name they all liked... Uh, Mick Mars remembered an incident that occurred when he was playing with a band called Whitehorse. Uh, someone called the group a motley-looking crew. He had remembered the phrase and copied it down as Motley Crew. And after modifying the spelling slightly, he wrote it down as C-R-U. Uh, motley Crew, as we know it today, C-R-U-E, was eventually selected as the band's name. Uh, Vince Neil decided to add two sets of metal umelots, uh, supposedly inspired by the German beer Lohenbrau, which the guys were drinking quite heavily at the time. Um, the band soon met its first manager, Adam Kaufman, and he was the 38-year-old brother-in-law of a friend of Mick Mars driver. Boy, how much more removed can you get than that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why? I don't even know why. I don't know. It goes into all the sources I read, like, explain it like that. I don't know why that's relevant. Why can't you just be some dude they knew? And what does it matter if he's 38? Like, I don't understand what his age has to do with anything. <laughs> that's, well, I think there's illustrating that he's a lot older than them because they're all at the time. At the time, yeah. a lot older. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's Very almost true. 40 and they're like babies, you know? Yeah, so um, they released a single themselves called Stick to Your Guns slash The t- Toast of the Toast Town. Of the town. <laughs> now that sounds like a Christmas song. <laughs> Toast of the Town does. Toast of the Town. <laughs> and they had their own quote-unquote label called Le Deer Records. Okay, let me spell it for you. <laughs> <laughs> With an umla. <laughs> L E A T H U R U with the umalot. Records. Fuck off. That's so stupid. Anyway, in November of 1981, their debut album kind of wasn't considered it that then is now too fast for love which was self-produced and released on leather records <laughs> it sold an impressive twenty thousand copies which back then that is impressive incredibly yeah. impressive so their manager who we know is is 38 years old set up a, t- a tour of canada um meanwhile they were negotiating with several labels um based on their success in L- in the LA club scene. So basically what's happening is the management says we're going to send send you guys up to Canada so you're on tour cuz that's going to look really good. We're going to stay home in LA and we're going to negotiate because look, you're on this successful tour, you're in An Canada. International tour. Correct. You're, you've sold 20,000 copies and some other things are going to happen. So so they eventually signed a contract with Elektra Records in 1982. That debut album was remixed by producer uh, Roy Thomas Baker and re-released in August of that year. Now, this was two months after Canadian Warner Music Group released the original leather mixes <laughs> to coincide with the tour. That was really fucking smart of management. They were like, this band, so they told Canada... And I, this is what I love about back then. It was hard. It's not like now. B- 
back then they were like, oh, this band is huge in America. Huge. They're selling, you know, tens of thousands of records. They're, they're, we've got labels breathing down our necks. And from what it looked like to the Canadians, it was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Bring them up here, eh? Sounds good, eh? We'll give, we'll give them a tour, eh? So, <laughs> we love you, Canada. We, we love you, Canada. Eternally. So, <laughs> so Canada, though, did not remix. Um, so if you want to hear Too Fast for Love with the original leather, without the leather mixes, um, you don't want to, trust me. You should find the Canadian copy. Um, okay, so <laughs> so during the tour, it was called... <laughs> I can't even... I can't, <laughs> I can't even do it. <laughs> cruising on, through Canada, tour 82. Now let me spell cruising to you. <laughs> I think we can we can kind of guess how they spelled it. <laughs> Let's just say there's fucking umlauts in there again. Of course, like <laughs> of course there is <laughs> leather. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so all right, where was I? I can't even see. I'm laughing so Cruising hard. Cruising through Canada. Okay, um, so there were a lot of incidents that happened on this tour that were heavily publicized. First in Canada, then in the U.S. Okay, so first, (laughs) upon entering the country, the band was arrested at the Edmonton International Airport for wearing their spiked stage wardrobe considered by authorities dangerous weapons through customs. And Vince Neil arrived with a small carry-on filled with porn (laughs) magazines, which is considered indecent material. Wow, they haven't even made it out of the airport right? yet, and they're causing, no. causing problems. Seriously, but can, I just want you guys to just just for a second put into perspective. Can you imagine? I could have five duffel bags of porn magazines, and as long as I've paid for those bags, customs isn't going to blink a fucking eye these days. They would be like, "Oh, people sleeping with sheep's cool, whatever." You know, back then, just having porn magazines was going to get you stopped at the airport. Well, that's Canada Jesus. too. You have to remember. So well, I know, we but don't still, know. <laughs> I'm sure you can bring porn into Canada these days. It's all out there on the internet. But anyway, I digress. So it's okay. So apparently, those were PR stunts, which I can believe. That's smart as shit. Um, okay, second, they're playing Scandals Disco in Edmonton. I fucking love that name, Scandals Disco. Eh? Um, and there was a bomb threat. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. There was a bomb threat against the band. Um, and it made the front page of the Edmonton Journal. Tommy Lee and the assistant band manager, which was on the tour with them, were interviewed by the police due to this bomb threat. Guess what? That was a PR stunt as well. They call the bomb threat in themselves. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> Yes, surprisingly enough, the seller said this too ended up being a huge PR stunt perpetrated by none other than their manager. Um, their 38-year-old manager? Their 38-year-old manager <laughs> who was manager. one cousin removed from a limo driver. From the of, driver. <laughs> whatever, somebody. All right. So then uh, Tommy Lee, yes, then Tommy Lee actually threw a television set from an upper story window of the Sheraton Hotel. The hotel management and local police were none too pleased, as you can imagine. 
A Canadian rock magazine, Music Express, noted that the band was banned for life from the city. Huge <laughs> loss. these weren't like today's <laughs> TVs, which only no. might weigh no. 10 pounds. You're oh, right. dude. Listen, no, this would be like a hundred Heavy as a motherfucker, man. Yeah. Box. And also, by the way, most likely, and I, the reason that I'm bringing this up is somebody actually did an incredible, I'll have to find it and put the link online for us. Somebody did an incredible, like, photo thing, like, put together a series of photos of what the televisions looked like that famous bands have thrown out of windows and off hotel balconies. And most of them are attached to the stands. So you have this 100-pound giant thing, oh, yeah. and it's attached to the stand on wheels and everything. So just picture that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, f- fuck Ben for life. He should have gotten a medal or something. <laughs> <laughs> For deadlifting. For deadlifting. All right, bring us back on the rails, man. Okay. So despite the tour ending prematurely in financial disaster, shockingly, it was a success in the press. <laughs> then in 1983, the band changed management to Doug Thaller and Doc McGee. Doc McGee is best known for managing Bon Jovi and later Kiss. <laughs> Their original manager subsequently sued all parties in a Los Angeles Superior Court action that dragged on for several years. And he was sued by several investors to whom he had sold, quote-unquote, stock in the band. (laughs) So, hang on a second. That's super fucking unfair, because I guarantee you, I mean, look at what that guy did. He got them signed to Elektra. You know, yeah, they came home from this Canadian tour, and it was a financial disaster, but not really. If you're going to look at sales of their next album, I mean, he put them on the map. And then they dump him, right? So, I mean, he... He funded all of this himself, most likely, which is why he sold, quote unquote, stock in the band to investors. So I get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's completely shitty. In my now, did he, now, did he put them on the map, though, or did their shenanigans put them on the map? But he orchestrated the shenanigans. That's right. I mean, that was yeah. all PR, PR sense stunt. that he yeah. orchestrated. You know, I mean, they're shenanigan on their own. But yeah. when you've got someone going, hey, hey, I got an idea. Let's take your shenanigans to the next. Of course, they're going to be like, yeah. Use them to it. your advantage. And they're also yeah. not stupid. None of them are stupid. I think they're all pretty savvy marketing, PR, and business people, honestly. So um, anyway, that's just my opinion. I wasn't there. I don't know. But, you know, that that that's just kind of shit to me. I don't blame him for suing. Hmm. So shortly after the band became successful very quickly, thanks in large part to a new medium of MTV, the Ozman himself, friend of the show, became a fan and crew found themselves as the opening act for Osborne on his 1984 world tour. The band members were quickly well known for their backstage antics, outrageous clothes, high-heeled boots, heavy makeup, and, of course, an endless abuse of alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. The Ozman. No, no umlaut over drugs. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> drugs. No <laughs> The leather-wearing drug takers <laughs> on their tour. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, they're a mixture of heavy metal and hard rock with influences from such bands as ACDC and Aerosmith and Judas Priest produced several best-selling albums during the 1980s, uh, one of which was Shout at the Devil, released in 1983. And during their period of success, the band had many, um, should we say, scrapes with the law. <laughs> um, 
Just as an example, in 1984, Vince Neil was driving home from a liquor store in his Dematoso Pantera, which is a car for those of you who are not into that kind of a thing. <laughs> he was yeah, it's riding not, Pantera? Not, yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not like, it's not like yeah. Italian Pantera, no. <laughs> yeah. And he was killed. Oh, I'm sorry. He wasn't killed. <laughs> he was in a head-on head collision, we be fun but of his this. passenger, yeah. Hanoi Rocks drummer Nicholas Razzle Dingley, was killed. Yes. And Neil was charged with a DUI and vehicular manslaughter and was shockingly sentenced to only 30 days in jail, though he only served 18 days. And what a, uh, a travesty of justice there. And he did receive a two hundred. I'm sorry, two million dollar fine, which is a lot of money. Um, back short then. term jail, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah even for them, it would have been a lot of money. Yeah. Even in their heyday, the short jail term was pleaded for by his lawyers. They claimed it was so that Vince Neil would be able to tour and pay the fine. The album in 1985 called Theater of Pain, was dedicated in Dingley's honor. And it started a new glam metal phrase in the band's style. The band would also later release two box sets called... Yeah. In very bad taste, of course. Mm -hmm. Music to trash your car to. I can't believe they would actually use that. after Yeah, gross. Um, Mm. I think it's important to say here that... um, I mean, to me... It's super upsetting to go through this part of their history. You know, this, you know, uh, Razzle was a very young man when he was killed. Um, you know, there's no bones about it. Vince Neil, uh, he was charged with vehicular manslaughter. So he killed someone. Um, and the fact that he served such a short sentence is bullshit. And the fact that the the reason was so he could go on tour and make money no make him go fucking work in a factory until he pays the two million dollars then he can go to you know i just i i just don't want to not talk about how disgusting i think that is it's it's just it's disappointing and upsetting and just sucks so yeah but anyway let's move on so then Girls, Girls, Girls comes out in 1987, which showcased their love of motorcycles, whiskey, women, and strip clubs. The album told the tales of the band's substance abuse, their sexual escapades, and their life of extreme decadence. <laughs> Another example of this extreme decadence. Uh, December 23rd of 1987, Nikki Six suffered a heroin overdose. He was declared legally dead on the way to the hospital. But one of the paramedics recognized who he was and was a Motley Crue fan. He was determined to revive Nikki Six, and he did with two shots of adrenaline. His two minutes of death were the inspiration for the song Kickstart My Heart. Huh. Again, <laughs> in my opinion, in very poor taste peaked at number 16 on the mainstream U.S. chart and was featured on the 1989 U.S. number one, their first uh, album to go number one, Dr. Feelgood. So from 86 to 87, Nikki Six kept a daily diary of his heroin addiction and then eventually entered into rehab shortly after his death moment or two moments in 1988. Um, Have you guys read his book? I have not. No. 
the heroin diaries um, or the album it's it's something i'll tell you <laughs> if you want if you want to know more about motley crew if you want to know more about nikki six and if you want to know a whole lot about heroin um it it's an interesting read um it's called the heroin diaries a year in the life of a shattered rock star um and it was a bestseller for quite a while actually um so yeah his side project later 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 um released the heroin diaries soundtrack as a musical parallel to that novel which is very interesting um very very interesting indeed so Back to the band, in 1988, they were sued by one Matthew Tripp. Now, this is probably one of my most favorite stories in all of the rock and metal that we have covered on this show. I went down, let me tell you, dear listeners, (laughs) if you're bored, okay, or if you have a little time on your hands, you know, lunch break at work, and you want to go down a rabbit hole, oh, my friends, Google Matthew Tripp, it's T-R-I-P-P-E, um, or you can Google uh, Nikki Six's doppelganger. This is fucking amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> Tripp claimed that Nikki Six was hospitalized in 1983 after a car-, car crash involving drugs. And he was actually hired to be a stand-in for Nikki Six. Okay? So he claims that he's due royalties because he was the fake Nikki Six and <laughs> Motley Crue. For a two, I think he said a two year period or something, a year oh or two gosh. years. So apparently he recorded music and toured with them because that's the only way you'd be do royalties. Um, and nobody was the wiser. So, <laughs> okay, so the suit that's... started in 1988, it wasn't closed until 1993. <laughs> that's a long gosh. fucking time. That's and by far because- one of the weirdest. It is. So he dropped his charges and he disappeared. He completely freaking disappeared. But, oh, man, I went down this rabbit hole. Like, who is he? I'm trying to find him on Facebook. I'm trying to find out, like, okay, what did they do in 1983? Like, was there actually – I looked to see if there was a car crash involving Nikki Six. I looked – oh, my God. It was like I went down a hole and I looked. It was like 1 in the morning. I'm like, oh, my God. I got it. I can't do this. Or Or did he disappear? What? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Maybe he's Mick Mars. Maybe uh-huh. he's been the stand-in for Mick, for Mick Mars. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to let you guys and the listeners ponder on that thought for a minute um, as we take a break and uh, we'll play some music for you and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. Emptied our bladders, filled our glasses, and we're ready to continue this crazy trip with Motley Crue here. So, their decadent lifestyles almost killed the band, as one could imagine, along with the members, until their managers actually staged an intervention and refused to allow the band to tour in Europe, fearing that some of it, some, if not all of them, would come back in body bags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shortly after, all the band members, except for the human Muppet, McMars, underwent drug, <laughs> underwent drug rehabilitation. Mars actually cleaned up on his own later on, or so we think. <laughs> or did he? Yeah, exactly. 
After finding sobriety in 1989, Motley Crue reaches peak popularity with the re- release of their fifth album, the <laughs> Bob Rock-produced Dr. Feelgood, <laughs> in September of 1989. And he's the one I that... I heard that name before. I feel yes. like we need to do a show on he's Bob Rock, honestly. The, he's, the one that makes oh, you, he's the one that makes you feel all right. Ed. Or Apparently. makes you sound all right, anyway. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or kills your career, or kills your career. But anyway, career. Um, yep. 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 On, yep. on October fourteenth of that year, it became a number one album, and stayed on the charts for one hundred and fourteen weeks after its release. Big Good numbers. God. The band members each stated in interviews that, due in no small part to their collective push for sobriety, Doctor Feelgood was their most solid album musically to that point, and indeed, it was their best-selling album to date. The title track and Kickstart My Heart were both nominated for Grammys in the Best Hard Rock category. And at the American Music Awards, Dr. Feelgood was nominated twice for Hard Rock slash Metal Award, losing once to Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, as it should have, but winning the following year, beating out Aerosmith's Pump and Poison's Flesh and Blood, both worthy competitors. (laughs) Yeah. Motley Crue was also nominated twice for Favorite Hard Rock and Metal Artist. So in 1989, uh, Doc McGee was fired after the band alleged he had broken several promises that he made in relation to the Moscow Music Peace Festival, including giving his other band, Bon Jovi, blah, advantages over Crue. <laughs> Doug Thaler then assumed the role of sole band manager. And on October 1st, 1991, the band's first compilation album, Decade of Decadence, 81-91, was released. It peaked at number two on the Billboard 200 album chart. It was reportedly designed as just something for the fans while the band worked on the next all-new album. After Decade of Decadence... Yeah, <laughs> yes, I can say that. Twister. Yeah, that's real easy. Decade of decadence. <laughs> Vince Neil left in February of '92, <laughs> at a time when other bands in the 1980s glam metal scene were breaking up, as grunge came into the scene and to break up their party. Uh, controversy persists over whether Neil was fired or he quit. Six has long maintained that Neil quit. However, Neil insists that he was fired. Of course, of course he does. Any band has its little spats, Neil observed in 2000, and this one basically just stemmed from a bunch of fuck yous in a rehearsal studio, and it went from I quit to you're fired. It was handled idiotically, and the management just let one of the biggest bands in the world break up. And that was a direct quote from Vince Neil. Yeah. Yeah. So Vince was replaced by John Karabi, formerly of Angora and The Scream. Although Motley Crue's self-titled March 1994 release made the Billboard Top 10 at number 7, the album was a commercial failure. I mean, come on. How can you have Motley Crue without Vince Neil? Well, exactly. I mean, that was so pompous of them to think that they could... (sighs) You're not that good. You're only good as a unit because you're who you are and just did your thing at a certain point in time. Yep. I don't know. Yeah, in my opinion. I think that, like they're, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, on, they're on borrowed time at that point anyway. So. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, and just like we're, we're discussing right now, it, it did receive very negative reactions from the fans due to Neil's absence and the album's sound. Karabi actually suggested the band should work on it, work it out with Neil, believing that Neil would always be seen as the voice of the band. And he was right. Karabi <laughs> <laughs> was fired in 1996. So he's like, hey, you guys, like, look, you know, Vince Neil's really the right singer for you guys. Oh, okay, you're fucking fired. It's like, oh, you know what? Good idea, John. Thanks for <laughs> yeah, the suggestion. You're fired. <laughs> Um, so, as we all know, the band reunited with Vince Neil in 97 after their current manager at the time, Alan Kovac, and Neil's manager, Bert Stein, set up a meeting between Neil, Lee, and Six. Notice Mars is not in there because <laughs> he's probably dead already. Um, <laughs> they agreed to leave their egos at the door. And uh, they then released Generation Swine. And although it debuted at number four, and in spite of a live performance at the American Music Awards, the album was a commercial failure. And uh, they say it was really due to a lack of support from their label. Um, in the in the, I, d- I don't know about that. I think they're. I just think they were done. I think. Mm-hmm. That type of music was over. It was old. It was played out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, I, 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 if I was the label, I wouldn't have put a ton of shit backing them either, you know? Yeah. Um, so then the band left Electra and created their own <laughs> Motley Records with the Umalot, of course. Much better of course. than Leather. Leather. Um, I didn't, I'm surprised they didn't slip an umlaut into records. <laughs> right, they should have. <laughs> <laughs> they like to slip their umlauts all over the place. <laughs> yep. Yes, they do. But uh, bang, I'll be here all night. So announcing the end of their relationship with Electra, the band became one of the few groups to own and control their publishing and music catalog. There are only a handful of artists who own their masters to their material, and I, I just need to stress how unusual this is and how important it is. Um, they say it's because they were the biggest pains in the asses and Electra finally got fed up and handed over the rights. There's no fucking way that's why it happened. No way. I'm sorry. You're talking millions upon millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, if we were able, if we, not, we are able to, but if we look up their record sales this year, I mean, <laughs> there's no way. So I would be really curious to know exactly how they got their masters. I just find that fucking mind-blowing for a band like that. I mean, was Elektra that stupid and thought they were done? You know what I mean? Is that pie? You know, ah, there has been. There's no fucking way their back catalog was always selling. These bands, they their back catalog always sells. So I don't know. Um, so anyway, that's that's massive right there. So in 99, the band re-released all of their albums dubbed as <laughs> Crucial Crew. Crucial with the umalot. With the umalot. Fuck. <laughs> These limited edition digital remasters included demos, some live tracks, um, and instrumentals, and previously unreleased tracks. So if you're a huge Motley Crue fan, you want that, because you're going to get a lot of shit you haven't heard before. Um, Me, I don't need to hear their demos, or anything that's not polished. Um, So then in 99, it was Tommy Lee's turn to quit the band. 
and pursue a solo career. <laughs> he claimed that it was in, due to increasing tensions with Vince Neil. All we got was a call from his attorney saying he wasn't coming back, said Vince. He wasn't into rock and roll anymore. He even said that rock is dead. Okay. I find it hard to believe that fucking Tommy Lee is going to say Rock is dead. I just, I don't know about that. But whatever. Um, so. Well, okay. Can, <laughs> can anybody just, just here's an exercise. Yeah. Can you think of any other drummers besides, okay, besides Phil Collins and Don Henley who have gone on to pursue a solo career? Uh, that's a uh. really good point. Now, there are not many. Um, Dave Grohl. Yeah. Was he ever solo? Yes. Well, it was like the Dave Grohl band. Foo Fighters like is him being solo, even though he had a band with him. Well. I mean, in, in effect, you know. And then he's gone on to be the drummer for every single other fucking band on the universe. I would consider him a solo. He's an entity of his own. You know what yeah. I mean? That's a great question. Definitely. I can't think of anybody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, so I highly doubt that he's going to say rock is dead and then go on and be in rock bands. <laughs> so doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so Lee is replaced by. Does anybody know the answer to this question? No? Lars? No. <laughs> Can you imagine Lars playing Wally Crew? <laughs> hey, maybe he'd actually be really good at it. Um. So Randy Castillo. Uh, was a longtime friend of the band, and he's Ozzy Osbourne's former drummer. Dude, he played um, for everybody. <laughs> he, he really, he really did. I mean, I think we covered um, him in Megadeth. Didn't he play for Megadeth too for a little while? He he's played for so many bands. His yeah. his his resume was very very impressive. Yeah. He was a very talented guy. He could very quickly learn new music, um, slip into it, play in the style that they wanted, and just and. You know, that's like a great session artist. Is, yeah. I think is in fact what some of these guys are. They're just like, you know, live session artists in a way. Yeah, so, I want to say his name's come up a few times. Oh, yeah. Several. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Podcast. We've mentioned yeah. him many times. Um, sadly, uh, well, we'll get into that in a second. So they released New Tattoo in July of 2000. And uh, oof, whatever. We won't even talk about it. Um, before support, the supporting tour began, though, Castillo became ill, and it turned out to be cancer. Um, so the band brought in the former whole drummer, Samantha Maloney, um, to fill in for Castillo while he concentrated on recovery. Um, to sadly, fill the hole. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, Ed. <laughs> Christ. That's a Sorry, dad joke from a dad. Um, so sadly, he lost his fight with cancer and passed away on March 26th of 2002. Let's pour one out for Randy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the band decided to go on a hiatus. So while on, yeah, so while on said hiatus, uh, Nikki Six played in several side projects. Vince Neil was featured on the first season of VH1's reality show The Surreal Life and had his own special titled Remaking Vince Neil. I guess it just involved him eating a lot of food. Anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of plastic surgery. Uh, So Mick Mars, now, who suffers from a rare hereditary form of arthritis called ankylosing spondylitis, 
or Muppet Syndrome, uh, went into seclusion oh in God, 2001. Don't make fun of his. That's <laughs> fucked up, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I shouldn't make fun of him. That's uh, terrible. Who said? Yeah, that that is that is a terrible thing. Google it's, it. It's it's bad. It's bad no, arthritis. It's fucking. Yes. You, yeah. You it's rare, but it's very bad. Yeah. Isn't it that That's your painful. joints turn into like concrete or something? Pretty much. It's, yes. It's insane. Yeah, mm-hmm. I read about it, and I was that's awful. So after um, acquiring Karma this rare, is a bitch. yes, it is. After acquiring this rare form of arthritis, he went into seclusion in 2001 while dealing with his health issues. Uh, Tommy Lee went on to form Methods of Mayhem and also performed in several other projects at this time. But and Rock then, is dead, guys. Don't forget, Rock is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then in 2001. An autobiography entitled The Dirt presented Crew as the world's most notorious rock band. The book made the top 10 on the New York Times bestseller list and spent 10 fucking weeks there. Amazing. A promoter have in England. Have you guys read that? I have not read it. Nor, I have not. Yeah, I have not. No. I, I, read, I read when it came out. I can't remember why. I think a friend gave it to me and something happened that I wasn't able. Oh, I think I was traveling at the time or something read the whole thing but i read chunks of it and mm-hmm. yep that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> so yep. a promoter in england named mags revel there's some serious names in this motley crew timeline his uh, birth name i'm sure just mags revel <laughs> doc mcgee all bond villains here uh leather leather <laughs> began lobbling, lobbling. Began lobbying. <laughs> You're began, lobbling. Be, began lobbying for a Motley Crew reunion, sort of presenting himself as the voice of anxious fans waiting for more from the band. So, after meeting with management several times in September of 2004, Nikki Six announced that he and Neil had returned to the studio and had begun recording some new material. In December of 2004, the four original members announced a reunion slash final tour, which began February 14, 2005, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Then the compilation album Red, White, and Crew was released in February 2005. It features the band members' favorite original songs plus three new tracks. If I Die Tomorrow, Sick Love Song, and a cover of the Rolling Stones classic Street Fighting Man. A small controversy was caused when it was suggested that neither Lee nor Mars played on the new tracks, and duties were supposedly handled by Vandal's drummer Josh Fries. However, a VH1 documentary of the band's reunion later showed that Tommy Lee did, in fact, play on some of the tracks. Red, White, and Crew charted at number six and has since gone platinum. Here's an interesting little rabbit hole, again, that you can go down. Mm -hmm. So there's the whole mysterious period of McMars. Um, And I think this is covered in kind of uh, quite a bit in, um, in Dirt. Uh... So, yeah, he was dealing with serious health issues. And then he also had a shithead girlfriend who was basically, and I mean, he was getting fucked up again, too. He was, I don't know if he was doing drugs, but he was drinking. And she was kind of, and I think she was like spending his money and just, you know, keeping him drunk or whatever. And um, so I don't 
all of the, so the documentary and other things like oh yeah yeah we have proof that Tommy Lee did plan those tracks but there's no proof that Mick Mars is on those tracks actually so I want to state and again what the fuck do I know but I want to say here that I don't think Mick Mars actually performed on that album Red White and Crew I think he was indisposed Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, in 2006, Motley Crue went on the Route of All Evil tour, co-headlining with Aerosmith. This was another well-attended tour following the Carnival of Sins tour in 2005. And in June 2007, Motley Crue set out on a small European tour. A lawsuit was filed by Niels Marr and Six against Carl Stubner. Lee's manager. The three sued him for contracting for Lee to appear on two unsuccessful reality shows. The band um, claim hurt its image. I don't know how <laughs> reality shows could hurt their anyway their image. Uh, yeah, what the fuck? They're like they're disasters. That <laughs> lawsuit was settled by the band at some point. Or how about yeah, the one that Howard, Vince Neil? How, how about Vince Neil's reality show one. before Vince that? Vince Neil's was yeah. terrible. Yeah, his oh reality show. Sorry, but his reality show made me really dislike him as a human being. Like seriously, and I mean his. Oh my god, his wife? I'm sorry, but... Have you seen her? Do you remember what she looked like? There was a lot of plastic... Is she the typical L.A. plasticked up... uh, To the extreme of the nth degree. And it was just weird. It was a weird show. He did not come off well on that show. And if you think that Tommy Lee being on reality shows, even if he turned out to be a wife-beating drunkard, that's what he is. And he's still beloved somehow. So, uh, I don't know. Some. What uh, the hell? So, that's that's not the end of the lawsuits for this band. There were several more between the band and managers. Um, and then Motley Crue has, unfortunately, a ninth studio album. <laughs> <laughs> somehow. Titled, they should have stopped like three albums ago, at least, maybe four. Um, titled Saints of Los Angeles. Go fuck yourselves. Released in 2008, the album was originally titled The Dirt, and it was loosely based on the band's autobiography of the same name, but the title was later changed. So, Motley Crue announced shortly after the movie uh, that Dirt was going to come out, and it's based on, obviously, the book. Um, And it's written by Motley Crue and Neil Strauss, so I'm assuming Neil wrote it, um, you know, for them. Uh, and so it was to be released in 2009. Well, of course, that didn't happen. Um, and But it seems now Netflix has acquired the movie, and it's supposed to come out this year. Um, there's been a lot of interviews of the guys who play Motley Crue, and I think it's finished, honestly. I think it's in the editing stage. Um, and yeah, I've seen trailers for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've watched some interviews with the guys who are going to portray... Motley Crue and wow, did they get spot on? Holy shit! I mean, even the guys said that they went to one of the um, one of the filmings where they were doing a live show, and they said they stood there and they're like, "Holy shit! Like, look, it's Vince. It's it's really Vince. Look, it's Nikki. You know, so 
yeah, I'm really curious to see what this movie's going to be like. Um, so after this uh, album, The Assholes of Los Angeles, the for several years, the band's <laughs> played various shows, festivals, and stints, and um, then they embarked on a tour that might have been their final tour. It might not. <laughs> Who knows? So during this tour, the band would play a new song, All Bad Things, over the speakers throughout the venue before they took the stage. So then, on November 22nd, 2014, in none other than Spokane, Washington, mm. the band played the final concert of the first North American leg of this final tour. And on January 15th, 2015, it was announced that the band's career would end with international concerts before heading out for a second leg of North American concerts. But in but. September of 2018, Vince Neil tweeted that Motley Crue was recording four new songs. This was later also confirmed by Nikki Six, who said that the new material was recorded for the film The Dirt, Confessions of the World's Most Notorious Rock Band. Vince Neil also clarified at this time that even though the band has signed a contract to no longer tour... They still plan to continue putting out new music. Why I have a feeling. I have a feeling that that will end. I so <laughs> they will tour. Okay, first of all, <laughs> yeah. why would you sign a contract saying you'll never tour again? Like, how much money were you given? That seems stupid. That's fucking stupid. Because they're about to be in a revival period. You know, I just that's I don't believe it. I think they'll tour again. Um, but just on a side note. <laughs> so we talked about this well, a couple weeks ago where so okay motley Crue's final tour they did some very specific things um in their tour to be like this you know the ultimate show the ultimate awesome blah 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 whatever so apparently kiss is doing their final tour let's fucking hope to god that one sticks um and the guys in motley Crue have called out kiss for basically replicating like their tour to the t like it's almost exactly copied they say uh-huh. here's a couple of funny things so early 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 days of motley crew they got kicked off a small tour with kiss because kiss said that they were um out of control heathens or whatever and i'm like damn <laughs> <laughs> You got to be fucking it up pretty bad if if Kiss is kicking you off the tour. All right. Um, And then they toured together. What? I can't remember what year that was. It was a big tour. Was it 2007 or something? Or maybe it was 2012? Was that the Kiss and Makeup tour? That's it. Nah, that's it. The Kiss and Makeup tour. Well, I can't remember when it was, but they, they toured together. So them calling them out now is pretty fucking funny but yeah they're they're basically saying fuck you guys you copied us so there you have that Mm -hmm. yeah and just as recently as february 22nd of this year 2019 the band actually released their first new song called the dirt and the song features Machine Gun Kelly, who plays the role of Tommy Lee in the actual film. Mm-hmm. So, during this long career, the bad boys were indeed being bad, bad boys. Yes. What you gonna do? So, we try not to dig too deep into the 
personal stories of the band members, but, you know, if you're gonna really hype your whole band on the fact that you're bad boys and you're, you know, whatever the fuck they say they are, I'm gonna have to bring up a couple of things, because I I would be remiss not to. Um, So, Tommy Lee, oh lord. Well, (laughs) there was the famous sex tape in 19... 98. Anybody here seen that? Do you want to admit that you've seen that? Anybody? I've heard about it. I've uh, seen enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, ugh, yeah. So, and then in 1998, Tommy Lee served six months in county jail after pleading no contest to assaulting his wife. Then in 1998, again, he faced a lawsuit when he alleged, allegedly exposed a right-facing Nazi swastika tattoo on his arm, um, much to public scrutiny. The tattoo, it turns out, was in fact a left-facing, and left-facing is born from Hinduism and is actually on the Buddha. Um, and in 1996, he had pleaded no contest to criminal charges of battery against a Jewish photographer after Lee attacked the man outside the famous Viper Room in L.A. In 99, Lee was arrested in Northern California after instigating a riot during a concert um, that happened previously at the Greensboro Coliseum. Nikki Six allegedly made racist comments to a black security guard, suggesting that the crowd attack him. Six and Lee were said to have poured beer over the guard's head. Yeah, and, and this was North Carolina, not Northern California. What did I say? You said Northern California. Oh, oops, North Carolina, sorry. <laughs> um, then in September of 2007, Tommy Lee was kicked out of the MTV Music Video Awards ceremony after engaging in a fight with Kid Rock. <clears throat> Which I would assume would have something to do... I could see adult do... celebrity deathmatch in the making. Oh my god. Well, you know that Pamela Anderson went on to date Kid Rock after yes. Yes. she left yes. Tommy Lee. So I would assume I that's She would what be the about. ring girl. But, you know, you've got a guy here that pleaded no contest to assaulting his wife. For me, that's enough. I've heard enough. You can, you know, everybody fucks up when they're younger. You do drugs. You know, you have accidents. You have anger issues. But my god... You know, I, that's just fuck, fuck that shit. Um, so, <laughs> Nikki Six. Well, he was arrested along with Tommy Lee for that riot in Greensboro, North Carolina. And again with the security guard incident. And then in 1990, there was another riot incident at Milwaukee's Bradley Center. He allegedly tried to incite yet another riot in Mandalay Bay, Vegas in 99. Oh, and let's not forget the whole heroin death in 1987. Mm-hmm. All right, Vince Neal. Oh, boy. Well, there's the whole murder thing by car that we discussed, and the riots uh, that I just discussed he was involved in as well. And then in 2002, he was arrested for punching record producer Michael Schumann to the ground in a nightclub parking lot. Uh, then in 2003, he was arrested after accusations that he assaulted a sex worker at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch by grabbing her around the throat and throwing her against the wall. In December of 2004, there was an arrest warrant issued for Vince after a fight during a show on October 30th where he left a sound man unconscious for 45 minutes. Jesus, 45 minutes. Good God. 
In 2007, Neil was arrested for suspicion of DUI in Las Vegas after police spotted him making some erratic moves in his Ferrari. (sighs) Neil later worked out a deal with prosecutors where he pled guilty to reckless driving in exchange for them dropping the DUI charge. What in the absolute fuck? You literally killed another human being while you were drunk driving. You get busted for drunk driving again and they drop the DUI charge? Okay. 2010, Neil was arrested on suspicion of drunk driving in Los Angeles after allegedly smashing a fan's camera. And he was released on a $2,000 bond. No jail time. On January 26, 2011, he pled guilty to drunk driving again and was sentenced to 15 days in the Clark County Jail and 15 days under house arrest. What the fuck? He killed someone. Are they waiting for him to kill someone again? March 2011, Neil was charged with battery and disorderly conduct after an altercation with his girlfriend. Mick Mars? Got nothing. Uh, doesn't mean he didn't do anything. I mean, he was there for a lot of these incidents as well. Um, I don't know if he's just so quiet and Muppet-like he's, that he just stays away. just flies under the radar. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, or they people just forget he's there because he doesn't talk really. But, um, you know, when when you've murdered someone and you keep doing it, that you know, you can say it was an accident, but uh, you, you dr- drive drunk again and again. When you... Um, when you harm your girlfriend, abuse your wife. Uh, sorry, n- don't think that's cool. Not into it. So yeah, yeah, you know, you think about all the all the uh, celebrities, where they, whether they be rock stars or um, actors who were decent people who we lost in you know stupid accidents, and then this guy, this piece of garbage, survives like everything. Yeah, you know, you know, like, where's the justice? That sucks. Totally. Well, so I just thought I would end the timeline on a really depressing note before we go into our battle next week. (laughs) But I'm sorry. I couldn't do the timeline without it. You know, I I will admit that sometimes I kind of go, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I try not to read things about celebrities that I like. I try not to read things about bands that I like because I don't want their, you know, art or music to be ruined for me. But there's a there's a line you know and when you cross that line um if there's you know anything that's racist or sexist you know abuse um or harming other people you know you can kill yourself all you want you know with drugs and alcohol that's up to you but um then it's just not cool and i'm not gonna not bring it up it's just you know all the all the double negatives will come out i mean imagine if vince neil actually did go away that first time what would Motley yeah. Crew be? I don't know. There would be no Motley. They crew. wouldn't be exactly. They probably would not be a Motley exactly. Crew. And that is Vince. Don't go away, mad. Just go away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that's an interesting dilemma because, and yeah. we'll talk about this next week because, you know, yeah, I listened to a lot of Motley Crew for a while. You know, during that time sure. period that you hate Matt, where everything, where that stuff was called metal. And you just listened to anything that was whatever at the time. Right, we're past um, that. Anything that was fast and hard. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah. There would have been another band that filled the gap, honestly. Yeah. And that's just that's just how it goes. So um, having said that, we're going to put a pin in it because I think this discussion 
really needs to happen next week during our album yes, battle. Yes, where we'll continue the discussion. Yes, indeed. So, there you have it. Yeah, so if you want to follow along with the rest of this discussion, and more importantly, as we discuss not just the band, but rather their albums, four of their albums to be specific, tune in next week. And until then, is there anything anyone wants to briefly talk about that they've been listening to or watching lately? Uh, nothing new. We've talked about um, Nikki Six's podcast on here before. So obviously, leading up to this show, I've been listening to that again. But that's it. Well, well I will bring up that. Okay, go ahead, Matt. You got something? No, it's okay. You can go first. No, please. Okay. Well, there are two. Um, the first is, and I just watched the first episode, because everybody I know in my life has been talking about this Netflix show called Haunting on Hill House. So I watched the first episode, and damn, oh. I am... That's that... No, fucking no. No to that. <laughs> we watched the first episode of... The Hill House, the Hill House, right? Yeah, haunting on Hill House. Yeah, yeah. Haunting yes. Hill House or Fuck yeah. no, no, no. That game, we both had nightmares for really? a while. Yeah, we oh did. Gosh. We get through. I don't even. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, we made. He says we made it to episode three. I don't think so. I don't think I was watching it. Well, on the contrary, I am hooked. And what? Yes. I love stuff like that, but I that will. Freaks. Yeah. I'm so, I mean, one episode in. You know, it's easy to believe the hype from that everyone else tells you, but so far so good. And uh, I will be on to episode two, hopefully within the next couple days. And the second thing is the trailer for season two of Cobra Kai just dropped a couple days ago. <gasps> it already has probably twelve million views. Oh my god! And man, I probably watched it ten times already. <laughs> Don't I'm... tell me anything because I had didn't finish. Okay, I didn't well, finish. Do not watch the trailer one. because I it won't. gives away surprises from season one. That's all I will say. Uh, okay, okay. Well, as for myself, I am listening to an audiobook, Area Fifty One: An Uncensor- Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military oh, Base. Awesome Ooh. and. I was turned on to this book because uh, the author, Annie Jacobson, was interviewed by none other than Dee Snyder on his uh, I Want to Talk podcast. And it sounded really interesting. And if you have been curious about what actually went on at Area 51 or Groom Lake or the Roswell incidents, um, it's definitely worth a read. And I would highly recommend it. Very, very interesting. She interviews a lot of people who worked there and gets her hands on a lot of formally classified documents uh, through Freedom of Information Act. I actually know a little bit of inside stuff because, how can I say this? I had a family member who somehow was involved in his work 
with uh-huh. that area, and that's all I can really say. But um, as he got older, he told us some stories that perhaps he shouldn't have. I don't know. Um, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Later on, like you just, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that's declassified, but some very interesting things, indeed. Uh-huh. Yes. Right, very cool. So to all of our listeners, our fellow metal rock and whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Please find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes. Please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. Uh, please continue to vote in our Metal Rock and Madness tournament. We are about halfway through at this point, um, and you know we got a long way to go, but you guys are doing great. Uh, despite the hiccups early on, uh, just keep turning out, keep voting, um, keep expressing your opinion, and uh, we welcome it, we enjoy it, and uh, let's just keep rocking on that, guys. Uh, so you can also follow us individually on Instagram, of course, yours truly, at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey Save the E. Ed. They can find me on Instagram as well, at Bourbon Geek. Sailor. You can find me all over the internets as Sailor Retro. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun, guys, and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. But now my glass is empty. It really is empty. (laughs) And it's time to go. But be sure to tip your waitress. They need it. And we are out. Fuck you, Vince Neil. Mm -hmm. Peace. Later, everyone.